Hey, my name is Brianna, and you're listening to the FCC Grayson Podcast. God is doing some incredible things here at First Church. To learn more about FCC and maybe plan your visit, head on over to FCCGrayson.com. We hope today's message gives you hope, inspires, and encourages you in your walk with God. Let's dive into today's message. We're going to be reading verses 1 through 10 of John chapter 20. Now on that first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloth lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. If you would pray with me this morning. God, we are, um, we're just so thankful uh, to be able to be here on this Resurrection Sunday to celebrate uh, the, the fact that death couldn't hold you, that the grave couldn't contain you, and that you are alive now and forevermore. God, I pray for our time in the Word this morning, that as we uh, open this up, as we have read the passage, and as we continue to talk about it, God, I pray that you would stir our hearts and stir our spirits this morning, that you would speak to us uh, what it is that you would have us to hear. God, open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to hear you this morning. Father, and as I pray every other Sunday morning, I want to take this moment and this time to pray for me, that God, that uh, through your Holy Spirit, that you would remove as much of me as possible. God, allow your Holy Spirit to use my voice as, as his instrument to be able to articulate your word clearly, simply, and rightly. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. So this week, I've kind of been going about a million different directions with where I wanted to go with my message this morning and praying to God, God, what do you want me to do? Where, where do you want me to start? What do you want me to say? Um, and I feel like what I'm going to do here this morning is what God wants us to do. Um, I'm not going to tell you the story of the resurrection, because I feel like I'm not going to make an assumption as to where everyone stands with your walk with Christ or your level of understanding of Scripture, but I feel like it would be a safe assumption on my part to say that at least the majority of us in here have a base foundational understanding that Jesus rose from the dead that he was crucified, he was buried, and that he rose from the dead. So this morning what I want to talk to you about is the purpose of the resurrection. What does that mean to us? And to do that, I kind of want to talk to us, give us a little bit of history about the holiday itself, and also give us some facts of the, the matter that 
we are not the only nation that celebrates Easter. Matter of fact, Christendom, by us being Christians, the resurrection celebration is fairly new to this holiday, this Easter. Because Easter is a pagan term. It was a, it was a day set apart to worship the ancient Greco-Roman god Estri. So that's where we get the name Easter. And around the world, there's so many different types of celebrations that take place. In some parts of the world, there will be an awakening at sunrise of, of native indigenous people that they will ride toward the rising sun, 500 of them, in honor of their ancestors. In some countries, they will simply run around a pole. That's it. They run around a pole. In some countries, they steal shoes. And then whenever the shoe, whenever the person who owns the shoes comes looking for them, they have to do some type of like stupid human trick in order for the shoes to be returned to them. Some places go out, cut limbs and branches and rods off of trees, and then they spend the day walking around smacking each other on the shoulders to encourage one another. Okay? I love when you all encourage me, but please, there's a limit. Okay? Let's not go slapping on the shoulders with, with sticks. There are some places in the world that celebrate this day with a, the largest horse race in the country, and there's more money gambled and spent and changed hands today than any other day. There's also places that they believe that if you wake up on Easter Sunday morning and you are not hung over from the celebration the night before, then you have truly not celebrated the Easter holiday. And in all of this, Jesus rose from the dead. There are some countries that even take this day and eat rabbits. Chocolate ones. Chocolate ones. They hunt Easter eggs. They put on new suits and ties and shirts that some of their church people make fun of. Uh, but anyhow, it, it, it's, it doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me at all. It's fine. It's fine. But we'll go out and we'll hunt Easter eggs. We'll have baskets. We'll do things for our kids and we'll celebrate with family and loved ones. All the while, the temptation is always there to put the resurrection of the risen Savior on the back burner and have His returning to life as kind of an afterthought as to what this day holds. So, this morning, I want us to really zone in on the fact of how much of a theme that the risen Savior, the resurrected Christ, is in our New Testament. From the moment that Jesus resurrected, the remainder of Scripture, all of the epistles, all of the letters, all the way to the end of the last book of the New Testament, has one main theme in common. Can you guess what that main theme is? The resurrection. The risen Savior, Jesus Christ that is alive now and forevermore. From the moment that we move from the Gospels into the record of Acts, we see that Acts chapter 2, the first recorded uh, message, is a resurrection message. Peter preaches it. In Acts chapter 4, Peter preaches the resurrection again. In Acts chapter 10, Peter preaches the resurrection again. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen preaches the resurrection. In Acts chapter 8, Philip 
preaches the resurrection. In Acts chapter 9, and then like 13 through 28, Paul preaches the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then when we get into the letters in Romans, it is by God's power and His grace for His glory that He raised Him from the dead. In 1 Corinthians, He's raised from the dead on the third day in order to fulfill Scripture. In 2 Corinthians, we can be partakers in His resurrection through Jesus Christ. In Galatians, we see that God gloriously raised him from the dead. In Ephesians, God wrought him from the grave and brought him back to life. In Colossians, we see Christ crucified, resurrected by the power of the Father. In Philippians, we see that we can be partakers, not only in his death, but also in his resurrection. In 1 Peter, Peter tells us that you have a living hope through the resurrected Savior, through the Messiah. And even into the last, like, most terrifying book in the Bible, Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ, we see Jesus introduce this book Himself by saying and qualifying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I am the one who was dead but now is alive forevermore, having defeated death and hell. Make no mistake about it, this book is a book about resurrection life. And a book about Jesus Christ not only coming, not only living, not only dying, but that He lives now seated at the right hand of the Father forevermore and He will return for His bride. We live... Did you... Did you we live between two Easter's. We live between two resurrections. Did you ever think of that? Because Jesus' resurrection is in the past. It's already happened, right? But there's another resurrection that's going to come. Whenever we as believers are going to be resurrected and spend eternity with Him, we live between two resurrections. If we, hear me church, if we are not celebrating and preaching, and ministering, and living out the fact that we serve a resurrected Savior not only on a Sunday, not only every Sunday, but every day that we live, then our message is wrong. Because it's not about resurrection one Sunday, and then you wait 51 more till the next. It's not only resurrection all 52 Sundays, it's resurrection for the believer every day of the year. 365 days a year, except on leap year, then you get 366. It's actually like 365 and three quarters, but I digress. I also kind of went down <laughs> this rabbit hole as to how did we get the rabbit involved in this Easter thing? How, what was the history of that? Well, in the ancient world, you know, like with the rabbit and the eggs and stuff. How did this stuff get here? The egg was actually a symbol of life, but it was also a symbol of the sun. You know, when you crack it with the yolk, it, it symbolized the sun. And then the rabbit was in ancient cultures associated with the moon. And it was also associated with new life because, let's face it, if you've ever had rabbits, you know why it's associated with new life. But in more modern terms, in, in, in the not-so-distant past, a story was told out of Germany that a family who lived during a famine, 
widow with three young children, had found three eggs. And to surprise her kids, to surprise her children, and make it special on this Easter holiday, she went outside and she hid the three eggs in the bushes and instructed the kids to go out and find and hunt the eggs. And when they did, all three of them found them. And at the moment that they found the eggs, it said that a rabbit came running out of the bushes. Ergo, the Easter bunny. The more you know, right? But see, what happens is, the reason I'm telling you all of this, all of the history, all of the, the, the crazy kind of ceremonies and the way that we celebrate this holiday is to emphasize this point. There is so much that we're surrounded by that can take our focus off of the resurrection of Christ. That's what the enemy wants. He wants us focusing on the foolishness of the world. And putting, if, if he won't get us to deny the resurrection, then he wants us to put it so low on the totem pole that everything else is above it. And again, not just this Sunday, but every day. So this morning, here's kind of what I want to approach. I've, I've read so many commentaries over this week. I've read the scriptures so many times over. I've prayed about it. And here's what I'm going to do as my message this morning. I'm going to dissect someone else's message. I figure that, hey, every Sunday afternoon, you all can leave here and dissect my message. Might as well take this opportunity and dissect someone else's message. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to present to you someone else's message, someone else who is a far better preacher than I, to be honest, and we're going to dissect that message. And that message is found in Acts chapter 2. So if you would, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 2. This, as I made reference to a little bit earlier, is Peter's first sermon. And I'm not going to read the entire passage, but we're just going to pull snippets from it. Because Peter, uh, you know, I, I like to say that I tend towards uh, an exposition style of preaching, which means you take a passage of Scripture, then you talk about the context of it, what the writer originally meant, how it applied then, how it applies now. Uh, but you just simply restate, maybe in greater detail, what the Scripture is saying. And this is what Peter does here. So basically, we're going to exposit the sermon of Peter in which he exposited the Old Testament. So Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at three things, the results or the power of the resurrection. Okay? Peter makes three points in this message, as any good preacher does, right? There should be three points in a sermon. Peter makes three points about the resurrection this, in this passage. First, we see in verse 22, and that's the reality of the resurrection. He says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So to give you a little bit of a context of the situation that Peter finds himself in, okay, Jesus had risen from the grave. He spent 40 days here on earth after his resurrection. 
We find out later in the New Testament that he was witnessed, this resurrection was witnessed by over 500 people. So it wasn't just like some little secret group that he was meeting with that saw that he had resurrected from the dead. There was over 500 eyewitnesses to this resurrection. Then Jesus ascends and goes back into heaven with the instructions to the disciples, go wait upon me and wait upon the promise of my comforter that's going to come to you. So they go to Jerusalem, they spend time in the upper room, around 120 of them, and then the beginning of Acts chapter 2 details for us this experience that they had when the Holy Spirit fell. It said that the Holy Spirit came in and it sounded like a mighty rushing wind. And after they have this experience, they go out into the streets, they go out into the marketplace, which was absolutely teeming with people, and they begin to witness and share the good news of the gospel of the resurrected Savior. And they're doing it in all these different languages. The Bible says that they go out and they began to speak in tongues and utterances that the people themselves at that moment understood. Because the people were out there going, what's going on here? It doesn't make sense to me. And we got to think about this because some people say, well, that really wasn't, you know, if they're skeptical or they're, they're cynics about Scripture, they'll say, well, they really didn't speak under the Holy Spirit's utterances. They already knew the languages. Really? I mean, have you seen some of these dudes' histories that we've got in here? I mean, we've got some fishermen in there. And I'm sorry if you like to fish in here. Sometimes we're not the brightest lot. Listen, I feel like I am a very well-educated man linguistically because I can say in at least 12 different languages, feed me, I'm hungry. Okay? I just want to be safe with it. But there's no way that these men knew all of these different diverse languages. So they begin to ask, they begin to murmur, they begin to talk amongst themselves What's going on here? What's that? What was that mighty rushing wind? How are these dudes doing this? What's happening here? And then they come to the far sensible conclusion. Ah, they're drunk. They're drunk. And then Peter stands up. And remember, this is coming right out of the gates. All right, this is just, they've seen their Messiah die. They've seen him raised from the dead, and they're fresh off of him going back into heaven, and they're coming out of this room where they've had an experience that goes beyond anything that they've ever known before. And Peter stands up with all boldness, and man, he comes out swinging right here. Because what he does is he first gives them the example of the reality of the resurrection. I love the way that Peter approaches this because he takes all question, he takes all doubt because he goes out there and he says, listen, you guys knew him. You knew him, you saw him. You witnessed it. You know what happened. You've seen him going to the cross. Some of you stood back and cheered. Some of you lauded. Some of you celebrated this fact. Some of you went before him dancing as he was dragging his cross up onto that hill. You know this was a man who bled. You know this was a man who felt pain. You know this was a man who was tortured. You know that this was a man who died on the cross. You know what happened. Some of you were even guilty of hanging him. Some of you were even even guilty of condemning him to death even though he was innocent. You know this man. 
Not only did you know who he was, you knew where he was from, and you mocked him with a title because on the cross was hung the sign, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. See, that wasn't some type of flattery. That was sarcasm. They were saying, this is a no-name guy from a no-name place, and we're going to make fun of the fact that the Jews thought this guy and say, and he claims to be their king. You see, I can tell you the story of the resurrection all day, but unless you believe it happened, it doesn't make a difference. It's just another good story. And that's what the disciples did all throughout Scripture. And you know what they didn't do? They never argued about it. In Acts, we see a recorded conversation of Paul with a man named Festus. And Paul said, here's the deal. This is paraphrasing. Okay. He said, here's the deal. Jesus Christ was crucified. He was the first man who was dead to come back to life. Period. And then moved on. Wasn't, wasn't room for debate for Paul. But see, until we begin to realize that this story impacts us and that it really happened, then it's never going to make a difference in our life. So he approached it with the reality of Scripture. This really happened. Period. End of paragraph. Then the next thing he talks about is found in verse 29. He starts talking about the results of the resurrection. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses." being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So what are the results of the resurrection that Peter just presented here? Number one was that death is defeated. Death is defeated via the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And not just defeated for Him. That's the best news of all. That it's not just, death is not just defeated for one at one time. It is at one time, for one, for all. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ and here this morning, if you've given your heart to Him, if you've repented, you've turned your life over, you've been baptized and you're following Him, guess what? You have the promise of not only partaking in His death, but also, as Paul says, of partaking in His resurrection. Death was defeated by Christ during that sacrifice and during that resurrection not only for him but for us that have a hope of a future in eternity with him and my friends there's no better news that you're going to hear than that right there that his death his burial and his resurrection defeated death not only for him but for us as well it also the result is that his word is validated you see what jesus was doing when he resurrected, it fulfilled prophecies in the Old Testament. See, not only Jesus coming was a prophecy fulfilled. Jesus living was a prophecy fulfilled. 
Jesus dying was a prophecy fulfilled. Jesus resurrecting was a prophecy fulfilled. His ascension was a prophecy fulfilled. And one day he's going to fill another he's going to fulfill another prophecy when he returns for his bride. God validated his word in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and said, "I told you." You see, God the validity of God's word is a big deal. And Christ's resurrection validated his word we also see in verse 33 that a result is that christ is exalted he said being therefore exalted at the right hand of god what that did was that took jesus from this earth the place that he willingly came didn't have to but did to be in our place this resurrection and his ascension returned him to his rightful place from whence he came the place that he came to save mankind, the place that he left, the place that he abandoned, the place that he willingly stepped away from during his resurrection and ascension, the result of that was that he was placed back at the right hand of the Father in his rightful place for eternity. With the promise that one day we can be there with him. And then the last result of it that we see in verse 33 is that the Holy Spirit is received. He said, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit that is poured out on uh, poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So Peter goes, you want the explanation of everything you're seeing? You want the explanation of that mighty rushing wind? You want, you want the explanation of the tongues of fire? You want the definition of the different languages? You want the definition and the explanation of what you are considering us to be drunk? I'll tell you what that definition is. It's fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy that God will send the Holy Spirit. He will baptize us in His Holy Spirit. It will dwell in us. And it will not depart. That is what you're seeing. That explains it all. They're not drunk. They have been filled with God's Holy Spirit. The promise of His Spirit coming. And then lastly, we see the response to the resurrection. Verse 37. Now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. Some translations say pierce. They were pierced in their heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent, be baptized. Give your heart to Jesus. That's what the resurrection calls you to do. That's what it challenges you to do. That's the decision that it puts before you. It's not enough to know about the story of the resurrection. It's not enough to even believe that Jesus rose from the dead. There is repentance needed. There is additional steps needed. There are things that God requires of us beyond belief. It's not just enough to believe and then say, oh, I believe in Jesus and continue to live in my sinful ways. I need to turn from my sinful ways. I need to repent. I need to turn. I need to focus my life on Christ. And if you're in here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, that's the decision that he's putting at your feet right now.
But what if you're in here and you're already a believer? What's the challenge of this passage? What's the, what's the power of the resurrection? What's the challenge of the resurrection in your life this morning? I'm glad you asked. It's found in verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. I'm going to ask the praise team, if they will, to come on back up front. Save yourself from this generation. He says here that exhort them. Other, other translations say plead with them. Other translations say beg them to come. Let me ask you something. When believers, brothers and sisters in Christ in this room, let me have your attention right now. When was the last time that you begged a non-believer to give their heart to the Lord? When was the last time that you pleaded with them? When was the last time that you were so earnest about your presentation to the gospel to someone who does not know Jesus Christ that you were broken if they didn't respond? Now we can talk about emotionalism. We can talk about how dangerous emotions can be, and I know they can be, but you know what? God created our emotions. God gave them to us. God can use them. Listen, if you care about the people around you, believers, I'm talking to you in here this morning, if you, if you care about the people that are around you, that are in your family, that you work with, that you meet in a grocery store, that you meet anywhere, if you truly care about those people, when was the last time you pleaded with them to accept Jesus as their Savior? When was the last time that you emotionally were moved to urge them, to exhort them to follow Jesus Christ. 